Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help a million people start a business of their own and make sure that anyone who's starting a business today never feels alone doing it. I know how lonely it can be building a business and just by listening into our podcast, we hope you hear a kindred spirit. If you need anything as far as building a business is concerned, we're the world's only free entrepreneurial platform. We never charge for our content. So if you need anything from one-on-one help from other entrepreneurs, access to free webinars that teach you how to build a business, how to build a brand, if you need any knowledge at all, then just reach out to us. I have a very special guest today. I feel very honored to have Lexing, co-founder and co-CEO of Cult Beauty joining us. So please listen in. And if you have any questions during the broadcast, then feel free to ask and at the end we will try to help you lex welcome to the show thank you for having me lovely to be here absolute pleasure well i wonder if you could start off by telling my audience a little bit about yourself so uh i co-founded cult beauty in 2008 as a frustrated and but um prolific consumer of beauty products um, and, but I was, I was kind of frustrated with the way that they were being sold to me. Um, the, what I call head pat marketing. Don't you worry your pretty little head about the science bit. You just buy the product and look pretty at the end of it. Um, and I've always, I've always, always questioning kind of what, what was a pentapeptide? <laughs> What's the difference between a fine line and a wrinkle? Um, there's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of um, the way that it was sold was very patronizing. And I found that most of the stores, the, the in real life stores that you would go into to buy products, it was all a sort of a very high pressure sales environment and really aimed more about number of products in your basket rather than actually really the the best product for you. Um, so, and I also came from a, a journalistic background. Um, so I love the stories behind brands. Um, and that's what really turns me on to brands. And I, I think increasingly that's something that, that consumers feel more and really is um, become more virtual and we we become kind of dehumanized i guess to a certain degree um with being online so much that kind of computer says no (laughs) vibe um so the opportunity of uh harnessing the internet as as it was back then was a you know no one was selling beauty online um other than maybe there were some gray market sellers and also some salons that were looking to offload old stock, basically sort of in a catalog way. Um, and Jess and I uh, really wanted to build a sort of a beauty hall of fame that you could shop. Um, and one of the biggest problems in the, in the beauty industry is the excess of choice, the confusion around too many products that all sound like they're doing pretty much the same thing. And they are. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of them. <laughs> but uh, actually, this was really about filtering through um, everything out there and, and using expertise to bring the cream to the top. Um, and uh, that is what Cult Beauty is all about. Well, just looking at the numbers, you've done in- incredibly well. I mean, uh, what's your headcount today? What's the size of the business? 
Uh, we've got well, it's over Christmas. It, it expands quite quite a lot because we do our own distribution as well. So um, I think we're at about two hundred and forty people. Unbelievable. Well, thank you for employing people right now. That's uh, <laughs> wonderful to hear. A business is actually able to expand. Do you know, what? it feels really good to do that. Yeah, well, well, <laughs> it thank, really thank does. You. Thank you so much for. And and, and we're going to get into it in this podcast. But it's a lot of lot of uh, work for an entrepreneur to build a business like you built. And so tell us a little bit about how it all started. So you mentioned 2008, you, you kicked off the business. How did, uh, how yeah, did you go from, I think I read that you were account manager at Mission Media. Uh, how did you go yeah. from, you know, working for someone else to building your own business? Because a lot of my listeners are dreaming of that. So step us through a little bit what happened to you. Yeah, well, I, I met Jess quite randomly at, uh, at a lunch and we got got chatting about beauty I always I always say actually beauty's a bit like football for women like you can literally sit down next to a, a stranger on the tube and get you can d- get into a full conversation about beauty products um but not so much anymore but um but uh so we we really bonded on 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 beauty and and also on our interest in online and I was working for Mission Media and I, I had a lot of clients and that, that I was trying to get into online publications and they never really cared. They were I was like, but it's got two million viewers. Like you read Vogue, there's 160,000 people read Vogue, maybe some of their mates, but it's nothing like the kind of exposure that even then you were getting online. Um, it just seemed so exciting to me. And it just, it was like this, this secret that no one, no one else saw like it was just so, so obvious um but so i was kind of a bit frustrated that, about about the fact that no one's really recognizing the opportunity that was there in the uk i guess in the us it was it was a lot a lot more uh, interest there and, and jess my co-founder is is american um, and she just just couldn't believe that the British are so backward about about the way they looked at online and probably about many other things actually teeth being one of them. Um, and uh, so we you know we we really we had a good bonding session. Um, and then she kind of called me up about a month later and said, um, "I've got a bit of an idea and I'd love to put it past you and see what you think. You know, sort of w- whether you think it's media friendly with your experience." And she sort of told me like the basic idea for cult beauty, and I was like yeah i think that's absolutely awesome it like the industry so needs this and she said well my next question is would you like to come on board i was like gone then (laughs) so uh i'd met her once before and uh we got on really well and i just was really impassioned with this this basic idea that she had and, and and what i could bring along to it as well um and so we started working on it. Um, I mean, this was Christmas 2006. Um, so we worked on on the idea whilst having a job. And I gave my job up in October 2007 with the expectation that we were going to launch just before Christmas, which we did not uh, until June the following year. Wow. Um, but... Uh, it really kind of then I need, I did need to go full time and really sort of really focus on it. I mean, we were putting this idea together when the, when the, it was a very buoyant economy. I think you, you might remember 2007 before it all came Vaguely. crumbling, tumbling down. Um, and we launched between Northern Rock going down and Lehman Brothers going down. So that was our, our little position in the, in the, the economic <laughs> breakdown. Great business plan. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We 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 aimed for, to to be at the at the best point, <laughs> but I mean, really looked at that, just going, "Oh my god, I've given up my job. I've just put every penny of savings that I have into building a really highly imperfect website, um, and uh, <laughs> just watched the, the the world kind of change." Um, but it also meant, well, there's there's really no other option now. Uh, that would go back. So uh, we decided to continue in, 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 in the vein of making Cog Easy work. And actually, I, I think there's a, a, a very important learning. I want to make sure the audience don't, don't miss it, which is very relevant to today's world, which in a way, a difficult time is a great time to start a business. Because perhaps um, if you'd start that business, you'd had other offers coming in or other opportunities. It could have distracted you. Equally, I'm sure, in part, you were able to grow. There's talent suddenly on the market. Very relevant to today's issue where everyone feels you know, there is no better time than now to start a business, right? So so I think you kind of personify that by by the, the last major financial crisis we had. You started a business that's thrived. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, a lot of the things that you talk about is luck. Um, there's luck in, in when an idea comes to you, who you draw to you. Um, who you choose to, to end working with, um, but also, you know, the time around you. And, you know, there are like very successful businesses. A lot of them have, have started out in a time of recession and a time of lack. Um, but at that same time, I, there's something about that that seems to inspire creativity and innovation and actually we rode a lot of innovation pipelines you know the beginning of social media um as a as a commercial viability um blogging vlogging you know that whole online content wave and you know, it was something that I was so excited about that we did everything we could to work with bloggers and help bloggers out when no one else was lending product to them. Nobody else was actually even getting back to their emails. And we kind of grew together. And it, so it was, a, it was a really, really tough time. It forced us to build a very lean business. It forced us to be very very focused on return on investment for every pound <laughs> that we were investing. Um, but you know, it, it did, it did build some really good discipline into, into the business and, and made us look around at things that other people were maybe ignoring. And I think there's an you know, important lesson there, isn't it? That I think it's not about an abundance of resource. Sometimes innovation comes from a lack of it. And, and yeah, I mean, speak to anyone that's had a really successful first album, you know, trying to do your second album when you've made all the money. It's it's well-known thing, isn't it? Right, totally. um, you know, being being hungry, um, it, it keeps your eyes very, very wide open. It, 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 what I love about your story, there's many things I love about your story, having read a lot about you now as well. You know, this is really your, your first venture as well. Again, most people say you've got to fail. I failed once two times before my businesses succeeded and but you you've persevered and, and made this business work but maybe um tell us a bit about you know your upbringing were you an entrepreneur do you do you think your parents were entrepreneurs did, did was entrepreneurship part of your vocabulary growing up how, how did you end up having this this spirit to be able to build a business like um, this i guess i had a, a quite a good example in my mum in that um 
you know, she was she was brought up to to you know be a secretary was pretty much the 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 thing to to aim for. Um, and when we moved to Somerset, um, Dad lost his job and and got a bit of a payout. And she decided that she wanted to set up a business with him. He's a copywriter in advertising, and and she wanted to set up a PR arm. Um, and she went and did a, an access course for three months in Bristol um, and then set up her own business, just not having any experience at all in, in business um, and um, set up a, a successful PR agency based out of our village in, in Somerset near Wells. Um, and she ended up getting cl- clients like she looked after the Gurkhas for two years. She she had Australian wine clients and French clients. And it was it, that's quite random. How old were you when you were experiencing your mother start this business up? Uh, I was eight. No, I think she, yeah, I think she started it when I was eight. Oh, such impressionable uh, years as well. They're your conscious years, right? Zero to seven, you're subconscious. Very much so. And, and you know, like she, there was no such thing as like free pocket money. So it always had to be earned. Mm. So I would do admin around the office. Mm. But I think just, just seeing that kind of can, can do attitude of you know just do a course do it like don't don't be a snob about it like just learn the basics and you just go you don't have to do an oxford degree to get to (laughs) that kind of level of success it's just start something and as a child because a lot of our listeners a lot of the people that we help talk about how they're scared to start a business because they've got a child and so you're you know good story there you know an eight-year-old child there was a lot of responsibility sounds like your dad had a payout might have helped the buffer but i'm sure there's a big risk there as a child you know of of a parent starting a business sounds like to me that you felt the energy of their positiveness not that oh they're working too much feeling am i right yeah i mean it's it just seemed like a very cool thing to be doing and plus they were working from home so i got to see her more often like you know dad was working all hours before he lost his job and, and actually we really got to know dad better from from the age of eight when when he actually started working for himself so from my point of view i got my parents back a bit from from them because the perception of people starting businesses is that they're going to be away from their children more because they're so busy running a business i guess um maybe another benefit of covid you, you spend time with your family you can start a business with them you know it's kind of I, I, I love it. But do, do you remember before your mother had a business, what it was like? Do you, do you, was she, she worked for someone else or this literally was like stepping out from, you know, full-time motherhood? She into- worked, she, yeah, she worked for someone else, but it was, it was mostly part-time in my memory. Um, so yeah, I don't, don't remember a huge amount about that. So when, when uh, so when you started the business with uh, with Jess, your co-founder, um, did you um, how did how, how did you do it? What was the steps you took for the listeners to understand this kind of zero to kind of amazing business you've created? What were the first few steps you guys discussed and and then actioned? Well, it was about kind of splitting up roles um, of who was going to do what, which kind of has <laughs> like a little bit of pulling straws at some point because I remember there was a thing where she was like, "Well, well, I don't know, like." I don't think you should do finance. I was like, yeah, I don't think you should do uh, customer service. (laughs) So it was really was one of those kind of chats. It's like, all right, I'll do, I'll do customer service. You do finance. And and I guess one of the things that I would say is when, when you are looking for a partner in a business is to really find people that have complementary skills. Don't go for somebody that gets what you do, like in that they can do it too. Um, 
I think, you know, if you want a harmonious relationship, it's about having somebody with a, with a very opposite skill set that you, you know, that you rate um, rather. And then you can kind of, then it can be quite a harmonious thing because you're both bringing something really, really special to, to the partnership, to the business. Um, but, you know, it was a lot of muddling through. And actually we spent the first three years making really bad decisions about third party uh, <laughs> third parties that we brought on from employees to accountants. We went through three accountants in our first four years. And the first accountant that we had, the first bill they sent us was added up wrong, which really should have been a bit of a tell. Um, but, you know, it was really was sort of trusting too much what rec- sort of what people were saying was good rather than really what was in our gut. I think that was that was the thing is just oh god no but everyone's saying that this is this is the way that we should go and actually if your gut's really screaming against that I would always go with gut. That's such such a great uh, point. I've also had uh, nightmare experiences with accountants when I first got an accountant. You just assume because they've got the title accountant that all accountants are the same, um, but it turns out there's there's uh, bad accountants and good accountants and and like you say sometimes you override your gut because you see their title or you just assume especially yeah. in the early businesses that they know more than you. But as you say, if it doesn't feel right, then question it, right? That's such a good Yeah, advice. I think it sort of came from being recommended accountancy firms and just assuming that everyone under that banner would be good. Right. Um, yep. But yeah, like little tells are really important to, to follow. But, you know, a good accountant, a good lawyer, like setting up a really good articles of association shareholder agreement partnership agreement if if it's just the two two of you like those three documents are like the 10 commandments of your business it's really um and you don't really notice them until you get to a decent size like it just sits there in the background like a foundation um but you really want that foundation to be rock not sand and you want it to be in protective of you as a founder I think that's that's one thing that I would invest in a decent lawyer to help you out with those documentations. It's a very interesting point. Again, I think a lot of people overlook this stuff in the heat of the moment to build the business. And as you say, both of these problems actually happen when the business is working, not when it's failing. When it's failing, everyone can walk away and not complain. But if it's succeeding, that's when you're going to start to have cracks if you haven't done the foundation right. So very good reminder. Yeah. I think people should record the last bit and re- replay it's it. Awkward, so don't it's awkward conversations as well. Like when you're putting contracts together, it's it, you you have to face worst case scenarios, which is awkward when you're really excited about your idea and you're really kind of buzzing about making this work and creating this amazing thing. But like how four really difficult RC conversations get it out of the way and it means that they you save yourself years of RC conversations such, later on. such good advice I mean having the difficult conversations on day one uh, saves so much pain later and like you say having the worst case scenarios what if this goes wrong as you say you don't want to take away from the buzz of it all but equally it's good to have that you know that that backstop prepared and, and understood so you can avoid the exact things you're kind of talking about could happen yeah Contracts are not for when things are going well. Mm, that's true, yeah. But it's it, you know you're you're one of the few stories I've interviewed 
quite a lot of uh, entrepreneurs in, in, in my life. And like, you're the first one I think I've heard of, um, like the person I just interviewed, he was his brother he got into business with. And the person I interviewed before that was someone he was at university with for five years. You know, you met once, your second date, you're getting married. And, and so this is all on your gut, isn't it? You, you've learned to listen to your gut. How have you learned to do that? Yeah, well, it's actually the, the gut stuff has been the stuff that's gone well. Um, and it's taken a long time to get to that. It's confidence. Um, and I really didn't start out with confidence at all. And, and actually, that's one thing that through the ups and downs, Cult Beauty has gifted me along the way. Um, this experience is, is really understanding what I bring to the table. That's really interesting. And did and you also had this difficult conversation. You were saying, you know, like, so this is what you're not good at, Jess. Let me be honest with you. And then <laughs> Jess would say the same to you. And because you could have that honesty, that, that allowed you to both accept your weaknesses and work on the things you were good at, right? Yeah. I think there was something about being strangers that made it a lot easier right. as well. Like, if it's your old friend, your flatmate from Muni or your whatever, like, there's, there's always history and there's... You know, there's, there's there's kind of echoes that get in the way of that. Um, friendship can really get in the way or business uh, business can really get in the way of friendship. It's such a good point as well. Yeah, that's that's so true. Um, I mean, I think investors do this better than founders. Investors make you feel like they don't need it. Of course, if they don't deploy the capital, they're going to make a living, are they? So they do yeah. need it. But um, but that's why often it's people chasing money more than money chasing people. And so, um, yeah, that's a very, very interesting point. I think the um, the whole concept of of building a business from scratch. I mean, how did you finance it at the beginning? How did you how did you get it off the ground? Was it build the team, build the website, or how did you get it going? Going in two thousand and one, I had a really bad car accident and I broke my back and sternum, and um, it uh, I sound like an advert now, and it wasn't my fault. Um, okay. so, <laughs> I think I, I get a phone through. call for you every week saying, have you been in an accident? I think that phone was for you. <laughs> I have, I have, and it wasn't my fault. And I did actually get compensation uh, eventually. Um, and um, I sat on that money for, it was 45 grand. And I sat on that money money for quite a long time, especially for a 20 year old. Oh, eight years. Uh, you sat on yeah. that money for eight years. How did you not yeah. spend that the following week? What was it? Yeah, seven years. And I didn't uh, but it was kind of a traumatic event. I really, I had this thing that I just really wanted to make something good out of it, make something generative out of something that just smashed my life apart. Um, and um, cult beauty ended up being it. You know, sort of wow. the opportunity came along, and I was like, well, "This is this is where the money needs to go." So h- half of it went to living on nothing for a lot for a quite more was it eighteen months before we could even pay ourselves a little bit. Um, and then the rest went went into building the website and you know bits and pieces. Wow. I mean, I, again, I'm just trying to imagine the table, you and Jess sitting there and, you know, like what you bring to the table. So you're going to bring this money that you've well, literally Jess, gone Jess, through pain to gain, you know, and, and uh, yeah. And then you two start uh, breaking it out. How, how, what was, how did Jess take it? How, how, what was Jess's kind of take on the ne- next steps? When you offered the money, that must have also been difficult to accept that. In- Jess was very much a driving force from setting, for setting up the business, the, the kind of practicalities of it. Um, she definitely handled all of that side of things and there's no way I could have done it. Um, I mean, I, that's where I go back to that, having the yin-yang partnership. 
And for me, it was the, it's the creative side of things, the marketing. And my experience working in PR and brand building meant that we didn't have to pay anybody for any of that, which actually with so many businesses, that is such a huge expense. We didn't have, we didn't do any performance marketing. We had no, no money for, for marketing. So the entire business was built without any kind of PPC. And I think we started our first PPC account when it was in 2013, 12, 13. So the whole thing was done word of mouth and through working collaboratively with content creators online and also just through PR storytelling. What do you think about um, how education plays a role in, in your life? How do you, how do you view education? Um, well, I was very lucky in that, that I had um, education in Somerset at a, a school called Wales Cathedral School, which is actually a specialist music school. Um, and although I wasn't a specialist musician, I just happened to live nearby. Um, it did mean that the school was much more creatively biased, I guess, because so many schools nowadays are just focused on maths and science and, you know, those, those core subjects. And actually there was a real appreciation of the creative arts and um, in that school. And I think it's really interesting how many people from that school, apart from obviously that go off into music, go end up in the media and communications and, um, much more the kind of creative type industries because it's just it's it's seen as just as good as being at, good at science and I, I think that's something that is lacking a lot in the in the school system is it's just this focus on on stats um also this kind of weird thing that the brits have this kind of looking down on vocational training which i think is absolutely mental vocational training if anything like gives you the tools you need to become a really useful member of society very quickly um less so with uh, an art degree but you know that gives you other other kind of analytical um hones analytical talents as well um and observation too we get asked a lot whether or not and there's people right now in particular you know they can't find a job and they're uh, they're wondering, you know, should they go to university or should they go back to school? Um, should they start a business of their own, uh, and or should they go um, work for someone for nothing? You know, what what's your feeling in this day and age? If you know, eighteen years old, you know, what what do you, what, what do you think is the right path these days? It kind of depends on 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 what role they want to get into, um, because there are some obviously you can't avoid like you need professional training, but um, there's very few of us that that go through school knowing what we want to be and what we want to do. I don't find um, necessarily whether somebody has a degree or not um, necessarily of interest. It's kind of what have they done if they haven't gone if they haven't gone to university and, and gone that particular route. What have they done instead? Like who have they worked for? What have they taken from that? But it's really it's so much of its attitude, and ultimately like. And given that gut for meeting people and there's just there's certain things that you get from from people's demeanor that that's just attractive i i uh i completely agree i mean i'm actually working on this podcast with connor wells who's in the background here and talia who's in the background here 
and, and, and Connor is self-trained and, and because he's self-trained in, in creating content, he's very passionate about it. I've met people coming out of film school and coming out of all these trainings that, that aren't that passionate about it. They just went into it because they didn't know quite what they wanted to do. So they went and learnt this thing. But you can sense, like you say in your gut, that they're not passionate about it. But when people are passionate about what they're doing, which often comes from self-training and, 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 and uh, that perseverance piece, right? So, you know, and, and again, you're mentioning listening to your gut. I think it's something I want people to do more. I wish I could teach people to learn how to listen to their gut because I do believe education in particular teaches you to listen to logic and, and listen to the, you know, the, the examples and case yeah. studies of failure. Oh, nine out of 10 businesses fail. So that's what my brain tells me. So I'm just not going to do it as opposed to listen to your gut that says do this or you're going to regret it. Oh, yeah, you just need to go and talk to people whose businesses have failed. And like, you know, sometimes it's just a, a, a serious string of bad luck. But sometimes it's just, as you were saying, like people who just wanted, got into it for the wrong reasons um, or maybe didn't ask enough people about the idea. Um, How have you stayed relevant in, 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 in the, I mean, when you started in 2006, I guess, but launched in 2008, how, you know, you were pioneering, no doubt about it. And like you said earlier about the bloggers and all, all of the things that you were doing that were pioneering. Now it feels like, and everyone's doing it. So how have you managed to stay ahead? I think it's probably always going back to that core mission. Is that the, the mission of Cult Beauty is to become the most trusted beauty retailer in the world. And it's it's unmeasurable. <laughs> so it's one that you can never know if you've actually properly achieved it, um, which I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. But, um, you know, having that inform your decisions, it's like that's you know, when you're looking at, at, at two different ways of doing things, it's like, does this, does this earn trust? Does this evoke trust? It, it, it's, I know it's ethereal enough that it, it can apply to so many different parts of the business, but it, it allows people to be using that to, to make their decisions on a daily basis. And it gives people enough room to be innovative within their own roles. Um, so I think it is it is the team um, constantly striving to do better on what they've done before. I feel like in a business like yours, this is pioneering that you've been doing for 14 years. You must have every type of emotion there is. Has there yeah. been moments where you just wanted to give up and how have you overcome those kind of tough times? Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely kind of moments where you feel it's darkest day i've never felt like i wanted to give up it's there's there have been times when it's like oh my god is that there, there doesn't appear to be any option <laughs> but then options present um through through desperate times probably more <laughs> um so it is really just about about focusing on on what the other option is if something's looking really bad um, and also, I mean, my parents invested some of their pension in the business early on. <laughs> I was like, like, I am damned if I'm going to be telling mum and dad that I've just lost their money. Yeah. They'll be living in your spare <laughs> so that's, room. That's been a little voice in the back of my head all the way along. Uh, fair. No, I, I think it's another great insight. And my way of um, kind of reframing the same point is, is you know, basically you don't want to have any option to fail. There is no option to fail. Like you say, there's just other options. It's like you never consider yeah. quitting, which which is crazy. 
uh, and, and amazing at the same time because it was never about maybe it's about downscaling for a while perhaps maybe it's about changing what you're pitching or what you're selling but it, but stopping was never the option and, and I think oh, that- well, I had this, this moment where uh, uh, we just moved into our new offices in Islington and it was the first offices that we kind of made the way we wanted it to be which was really exciting and my my mate Dave who was my flatmate in the in the 2008 uh, days uh, came to the office and was like holy moly Lex this is absolutely mental he's like you know what never ever listen to my advice because he sat me down at one point he's like Lex babes you know I asked you how you are and you just cry you know it's just are you sure that this is really what you want to be doing should you really be carrying on with this (laughs) I was like okay this is an interesting nuance again because i think when people um, have a business that's working they think you're happy all the time of course you're not happy all the time especially but no. you've got such an overarching important mission and like you say you've kind of all in that you know you push through the hard times to have the good times yeah bloody headed basically bloody I mean, headed yeah <laughs> it's, it's fascinating and and so you know present day um what what are your you know how do you define success for yourself today going forward and, and for the business how, how do you define success i mean achieving achieving your mission really is the definition of success so that's set quite a tough one on that one um you I have mean, there's lots of parts <laughs> of the world that um you know won't ever trust anything so i'm not sure <laughs> I know, and we, we are becoming more and more cynical as consumers. So it's like the mission's getting harder. It's like Sisyphean mission to push yeah. that boulder continuously up the hill. Yeah. Um, it's, it's when I read reviews where people kind of echo echo my mission when they say, you know, you, you can trust Cult Beauty's going to sort you out. You know that you're going to get the best stuff from there. When I sit, when I meet a new person and they've heard of the business and I get such a boost from that, although I try and like be breezy and cool about it and like, uh, nice. <laughs> just it, always fail massively. You've heard of us, oh, that's so awesome. What have you bought? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm just excited about, I'm excited about the products. You know, it's, it's um, so I guess success is doing, is doing something really that you love and enjoying it and, and, and managing to make it work. It's really amazing. Well, I, I, uh, I love your story and, uh, and I feel like when listening to you, you're like six months into a new business. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's so nice to hear so much love and energy for something that, that is, is 14 years old. Um, I think my mum fell out of love with me at 15. <laughs> I'm so old now. No, no, well, you're not. But, um, you know, but the business itself, I mean, it's, it's an achievement to start a business, frankly, as you say, in a recession. I mean, what have we been through since Brexit, all this other stuff? You know, it's, um, it's amazing that you've continued to do, do so well. But what is the next step for the business, do you think? Do you, what's, the, what, you know, what's the next big, big, big thing? <laughs> you were so ahead of your time with the original yeah. concept. What's the next big thing coming? Teaching, teaching trust to the rest of the world, I wow, guess. Good one. <laughs> um, it's international. Um, but actually, you know what? We've still got so much opportunity in the UK. Like we're still, you know, small in comparison to um, a lot of the, the other beauty retail competitors out there. I think it's, um, there's so much opportunity just in the UK. But uh, I think expanding out internationally is is the dream is well my uh, we have a lot of listeners in the us and in asia 
I think Asia is a really interesting market because makeup products are not trusted because there is a lot of copy and fraudulent products in that market. Yeah. Trust is a big issue and, and there's certainly money there. But I'm thinking about a job uh, title change for you. should be co-trust officer. <laughs> Chief trust officer. I think uh, I think it's such a, an, an important word. And, and it's lovely to hear actually in a, in a, in a product business that that's key. Because I feel like you know, I've, I've, in my agency business, I've had, I've had the, the luxury, I guess, to work with brands like Estee Lauder, and, and they certainly have their strengths. But I, I don't think I ever heard the word trust in conversations as much as I would like to. And often it was about how to get the consumers to buy their products, and, and that's the way that world works normally. So, so in my mind, you're still way ahead of your time with the mindset that you've got, that it's about uh, the consumer. Um, I think that's that's still ahead of its time. It feels like that's that's not part of normally, in my view, my humble view, no one can sue me, hopefully, of, <laughs> of, of the makeup world. It still feels very much like how can we sell this product to someone yeah. by telling them a yarn, telling them a story. It's, it's just turning that thinking on its head, really, isn't it? It's yeah. just if you have somebody's trust, it's the cheapest marketing you could ever employ. Mm. Yeah, agree. Another gem. Because I, I think I often say to people in sales, for example, the best sales is a referral. Even today, even if it's someone shared your video in the modern world of referrals or someone liked your link and made a comment on it for someone to tag someone in it, you know, these are gold. These are, the referral system of reputation is still so undervalued, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is. And, and kind of less and less. But I mean, it does, it, it is really hard. It is, as I said, increasingly hard to earn trust in an increasingly cynical consumer environment. Um, you know, we are uh, overstimulated and, and cynical. Um, so I guess that's it. You want that kind of ray of sunshine. You want to create a ray of sunshine in the, in a cynical world. And I think that's where, you really, you really get people. Mm. I mean, with all your experience, and uh, I, I, uh, I know um, this, this might be a difficult question, so we could do it in another podcast if you, you want to have a think about it. But if you were to start a brand new business today, you and Jess were so ahead of your time when you did this business you've got today. What business would you, is there anything you would, you often uh, come up with an idea or have an idea and say, this is what I do. And what I'm thinking about in particular, a lot of my listeners lack ideas. So, you know, in this world where there are so many new opportunities, ideas should be the last thing people are worried about. But are there any yeah. ideas you see that, you know, if you were, were able or did want to do something completely different, you would think about doing? I think that's a really, it's such a difficult one because I'm so completely in cult beauty. Mm. It, um, it, it totally, <laughs> it's all encompassing. So the concept of not doing what I'm doing is really really difficult for me to to imagine it will probably be a brand so i think really once you've once you've done the retail it gives you so much um it gives you such a good eagle eye view of of the market and, and what's working and what isn't and what's needed i, I think brand um, the building a brand pieces again i always tell people um one of my instagram posts build a brand not a business you know, brand is so valuable and, and so overlooked. And actually, when we're talking about what you could start next, your answer is perfect in my mind. Build a brand. You know, that is that is experience talking right there. It really doesn't matter what it's in um, because brand has value. Brand will always, you'll always be able to charge properly for brand. If it's not, if it's just a business, it's a race to the bottom on price, right? For example. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have any values uh, when it's just a business. It can just be, you know, but brand is completely different, which is what you built with Colt Beauty. You built a brand, really, not a platform. Yeah, for sure. It definitely is a brand. Mm. 
And by the way, I, I love the fact that you're, you're so focused on, on the business because me, one of my weaknesses personally is I have an idea of a week. I've actually got one of my most popular videos on YouTube is my ideas this week, you know, like, and, I, and, I, and, I, and it's to my detriment. I, I sometimes um, find it very, I love the zero to one of building a business, but I find it very hard <laughs> to be, um, the longest I've ever run one of my own companies for is 10 years and then I had to hand it over to someone else to run because I get bored. So it's to, you know to, to there's your... so many different types of people and, exactly, and yeah. you, you do that but then other people much prefer sort of taking it you know it's marathon runners versus sprinters and they're yeah. just as important in the Olympics right right so yeah. um, it's it nice is, to meet it, a sp- it's nice to meet a marathon runner everyone <laughs> everyone says you know you got to run a marathon not a sprint but how many people have actually run a marathon so it's nice to meet a marathon runner and, and i'm i'm energized i'm i'm hopefully i'm working on a platform now i hope i'm still around in 14 years time uh, business wise to make it happen still and have your energy I'd, I'd i'd be very excited so you know hats off to you and i have a lot of respect for what you've built and i really really appreciate you taking time out today to share your story i know how busy you are so thank you so much i have one final question i guess um to kind of cap off the podcast i wanted to ask you if you went back to your younger self and, and gave some advice what would it be Ooh, uh, don't go with that accountant that lawyer mm. <laughs> there would be some little tips along the way but it's it's just keep plugging it's going to be worth it right i love it <laughs> going to be worth it amazing i I, uh, I thank you again uh it's so awesome lex to hear your story and for you to come on and share it with my audience and me I'm inspired and uh, and I want to thank you again. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. If you found what Lex had to say interesting, do me a favor, hit the links below, go follow her company's social media and show us some love. It costs nothing and I would really appreciate it. And I'm sure her and her colleagues would really appreciate it. In addition, if any of what we've talked about today you think can be useful to someone who wants to start a business or anyone that's thinking of growing their business and hiring people right now, please, please share it. In addition, if you have any questions about entrepreneurship, as I've said before, we're the only platform that is giving entrepreneurship training for free. We'll never charge you. There's no cap, no upsell. We just want to help you right now fulfill your potential so if we can help you drop us a comment we get thousands of comments every week we always reply to them we're here to help you again we know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to in fact we just checked 784,000 podcasts you could be listening to and you've taken the time out to listen to ours and we feel incredibly grateful have a wonderful day and good luck to you all